Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Rich State of Mind where I'm talking to Jackson Milan. He's a wealth mentor who has spent the last 14 years helping service businesses understand the language of money and manufacture financial freedom for themselves and their families. He has successfully helped over 1,000 clients build an excess of $1.4 billion in combined wealth and scale multiple seven-figure businesses. He's a master of helping business owners make money, work for them, and turn their business profit into personal wealth. I definitely enjoyed this episode with Jackson. It was a, a breath of fresh air. Uh, definitely, you know, you can get a lot of information from this episode. If you haven't noticed, it's a back-to-back episode where I'm talking to some type of coach that can provide consulting uh, in order to get you to the next level, whether it's professionally, personally, or wealth-wise. So uh, check this episode out. Please like, please subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube, and please leave a review on what you thought and what else you would like to see in future videos. Thank you. Please visit our site at www.richstateofmind.com where we provide content on real estate, personal finances, and self-development. Share your story and information by posting a blog on our site so that the Rich State of Mind community continues to grow in knowledge. You can also follow our Instagram page at rich underscore state brand to find out about exclusive offers and discount promotions for our apparel. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other outlets. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And thank you for listening. Hey, Jackson, thanks for taking the time this uh, evening for me, morning for you, Thursday morning. Uh, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what do you do? Yeah, so I'm uh, Jackson Milan. I'm also known as the Wealth Mentor, and uh, we are wealth coaches. We help service-based business owners maximize their profits, buy back their time, and systematically turn their business profits into personal wealth. Uh, I've been involved in this space for over 14 years now, and uh, I kind of got started in this space because my, my parents were business owners. Um, they struggled a lot when it came to money and finance. They worked extremely hard, but never really had any anything to show for all of their hard work. And uh, we're having a bit of a conversation before we hit the, the record button. And you, you mentioned that you ask a lot of questions and I was very similar. I always ask the questions like, why are my parents working so hard, but not being able to enjoy the fruits of their labor? And that led me to go down a path of understanding that the vast majority of people, my parents included, just didn't understand the language of money. It's not something that we're taught. And for this reason, I went on this curious journey of trying to design a framework that would allow people to manufacture financial freedom in 10 years or less, utilizing their business as a vehicle to be able to design the life of their dreams. And uh, now going on 14 years, uh, I've now been able to create a, a multi seven figure business with over 700 clients around the world. Now we've got a team of 25 now, and uh, I'm now three months into a year traveling around Australia in a, a four wheel drive as my team runs my business for me. And uh, we're, uh, we're living the dream and showing people how to do the same. Awesome. And so what made you want to be a, a wealth mentor? How were you able to determine like, this is my skill? Yeah, I actually started the journey by going down the traditional route of becoming a qualified financial advisor. Okay. And what I come what I come to realize is that 
when I stepped into the industry, the industry in Australia and around most of the developed world is built around flogging products, of selling commission-based products to people like you and I who probably don't need them and aren't definitely aren't getting them any closer to financial freedom. And I realized that there was this tremendous conflict of interest where the traditional financial advice relationship was, hey, Anthony, give me your money. I'm going to invest it for you. I'm going to send you a, a couple of reports a few times a year and tell you how it's going. But what I come to realize is that for the vast majority of people who are being advised by traditional financial advisors, they actually weren't creating financial freedom. They might've been doing okay and their money was, was better than sitting in the bank, but yes. very few financial advisors were able to help their clients actually manufacture true financial freedom. And it was because people were abdicating responsibility. And the reason why they abdicated responsibility is because they didn't understand how to make money work for themselves. So I decided to go down the path of offering a done for you, so a done with you solution to teach people the language of money, so then they can manage their money better for themselves. Awesome. And so, uh, did you learn from somebody else how to put a, a plan together, put a, a strategy together? Yeah, well, I guess I learned from traditional education. I obviously went through university and I got my qualifications as a financial advisor. But to be honest, mate, the vast majority of my lessons were learning what not to do. Because I feel that the industry of financial services and financial advice is riddled with a lot of misinformation. And as one of the famous sayings by Warren Buffett is uh, rule number one is don't lose money. And then rule number two is don't forget rule number one, right? And the biggest issue that costs people years, in some cases, decades in pursuit of financial freedom is that they make terrible financial decisions, but they don't do it on purpose. So what I started trying to do is to develop a framework that helps people make better decisions when it came to money, which means that they can make better outcomes when it came to their money. Um, and it was really through the School of Hard Knocks and Trial and Error that I developed this system that's allowed us to help our clients build over $1.4 billion in combined wealth. Oh, that, that's awesome, by the way. And this is over a span of 14 years, which I think is no slouch as far as $1.4 billion in total. Uh, what... Uh, streams of income have you do you recommend in order to, for people to find uh, this financial freedom uh, or is it based off a of personality or what they're going through at that time? Yeah, look, I think that the big point here, we all need to realize that there are only three ways to predictably make money in this world. There is business. So starting your own business and creating it profitable and building value into that business. There is property buying good quality real estate that is going to provide you with good solid income from quality tenants and have good capacity for future capital growth and investing in good quality shares that's uh, investing in quality businesses that have strong P&Ls and balance sheets that are going to be around for a very long time. Okay. And if you can understand those three asset classes, then you can control your destiny when it comes to manufacturing financial freedom for you and your family. And so I saw that, um, and how, I want to make sure I pronounce your company, Arius Financial? Yes, correct. Okay. And so is there any meaning behind that name? There is, yeah. So both my business partner and I uh, have, have uh, our backgrounds are Italian, uh, going back to the Roman Empire. And Aureus was actually the, the currency that the Roman Empire used at the peak of the Roman Empire. So we, 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 we kind of have a little bit of a throwback to our heritage. And we use the image of the bull, which is obviously synonymous with bull markets, so a little bit of poking a bit of fun at the, uh, the financial services industry. And the whole idea of this is about helping people use money as a vehicle to be able to live the lives that they want and enable themselves as opposed to being disabled and essentially being a slave to money. 
because I think so many people create these golden handcuffs. They lock themselves into either working relationships or even investments that actually don't serve them. And for this reason, it limits the opportunities they have to be the masters of their own destiny and to be able to create the, the freedom and fulfillment that they really want. It's when we can start understanding money, understanding how we use money, that we can start removing these handcuffs and using money as a, as a tool that allows us to create the life that we really want. And so I think that's awesome. And so let's just say, I say, hey, Jackson, I got this plan. Uh, you, you tell me 10 years or less. Let's say I do it in four years. Uh, are there some principles that I can continue to, to live off of? So when, if I don't need you anymore, I still be good. 100%. Yeah. So what we firstly do here, Anthony, is we firstly get clear on what stage of the wealth pyramid we are at right now. Because one of the biggest challenges that people have when it comes to money is that they see so many other people doing different things. Like they see people investing in property and they see people buying and selling businesses and they see people dabbling in the share market or investing in crypto. And then they go, oh, wow, that looks interesting. I'm going to try and do that myself. Mm -hmm. But they haven't actually identified what stage of their wealth journey they're at themselves. So there are five stages that we can be at at any point in time. Stage one is financial battle. This basically means that we're drowning financially. We're making less than what we're spending. We're either burning through our cash flow or we're racking up bad debts. We're in a bad position. Stage two is financial comfort. This is where we are making enough to make ends meet. We live a comfortable lifestyle, but there's nothing left over to plan with. So we're treading water financially. Stage three is financial growth. This means that our income is higher than our expenses, meaning we have surplus. And we are committing that surplus to work for us. We are saving, we're investing, or we're paying down debt, potentially all three of those things. Yes. Then we've got financial freedom. Now, financial freedom is a word that's thrown around a lot. And it's, yes. in my experience, it means something different to everyone. But I simplify it to two things. One, you own your home and you have paid it off in full. Because if you own your home and it is fully unencumbered, then that takes the pressure off the amount of income that you need to produce in order to maintain your lifestyle. Because if you've got a mortgage or you're paying rent each and every single month, that's a fixed commitment that you need to, that need to maintain. And the second goal is that you have enough passive income that you have the ability to choose what you do with your time. And then stage five is financial abundance. This is where we have more than what we need. We've achieved financial freedom and we've still got surplus in excess of those means. So now we can give back to family, friends, charity, generational wealth planning. We can start thinking about others. So step one is identify what stage are you at right now? And if you're at stage one, let's not try and jump to stage four. We need to get to stage two first and then to stage three. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Second thing, let's get clear on what stage we're ultimately trying to get to, because some people just want financial freedom. Some people want to strive for that financial abundance of what, what you're talking about, Anthony. This is about having more than what we need and pushing on beyond that. So then we're going to need to reverse engineer this into an action plan. If you want to get there in 10 years, we need to understand the levers that you need to pull financially that is going to allow you to control the outcome. And the reality is there are only three levers when it comes to wealth. There is the amount that you can contribute to your wealth creation. There is the risk that you're prepared to take and in turn, the return that you can expect to achieve for that risk. And there is the time that you are prepared to wait. And if you can understand those levers, then you can control how long it takes you to realize your goals. And so is it so basic how you broke it down, which is, by the way, this is the first time I'm hearing it broken down this way. 
the faster you understand how to manipulate those le those levers uh is the faster that somebody can achieve this financial abundance exactly because here's the thing right majority of people are conditioned to chase market returns so they go okay i know that putting money in cash right now is making me nothing in actual fact after inflation we're probably going backwards and I know that if I want to make money, I've got to invest in real estate or I've got to invest in the share market or I've got to invest in business. But what we've got to realize is that the vast majority of those returns are in the macro environment. There are external factors that more or less you cannot influence. Now, sure, you might be able to buy a rundown property and renovate it and flip it for a profit. You might be able to manufacture wealth. But the macro environment is what dictates the vast majority of those returns. So yes. majorly, it is outside of your control. Yes. So what I teach my clients to do is to control the factors that are in their micro environment. And the only factor we can control is our surplus. This is why small business and creating a service business is one of the best vehicles to financial freedom. All of my clients have a service business, a coaching business, a consulting business, an agency, some sort of way where they're trading their time for money. And what we've been able to realize is that there is an unlimited ceiling in the income that we can earn in that service business. All we need to do is if we want to achieve financial freedom and we know we need to have $5,000 a month of surplus arbitrarily to achieve that goal within 10 years, then we've just got to work out what that business needs to do in order to get us that level of surplus. It allows us to reverse engineer our financial freedom goals into our income target, our income target into our profit target, and then our profit target into all of our key performance indicators and metrics in our business and our wealth to allow us to have an, a control of our ability to achieve the outcome that we truly desire. I like how you address the fact that a service business that is not affected by uh, its surroundings or what's going on in today's society uh, to a certain extent. Um, obviously, you know, I don't, you know, I talked about the pandemic early and how it did affect the mass majority of individuals, but you are, you are completely right. My, my returns, my return with uh, cash on cash return on my real estate uh, properties is dictated by other people. On what on what it's worth, you know, it's dictated on what they say the rents should be or what the appraisal should be, uh, which are dictated by thousands of people and what they decide to do in that area. Uh, so yes, it what you're saying is very true, and that is a weakness uh, that a lot of people should take in consideration when they decide to do any type of uh, entrepreneur or any type of business. How is it affected, and can I can I weather any type of storm based if things were to go bad based off those. Uh, things that would affect it, uh, but service. So when you say service business, you say consulting, uh, maybe something like webinars. Yeah, basically it's, it's any business where you are trading value for money that doesn't involve a physical product. So we're talking about coaching, consulting, agencies, uh, trade businesses, uh, basically any other type of high value service. The reason why this is, in my opinion, the best form of business is because there's very low investment required to get it up and running. It's normally human capital of your own experience and your own time. And we don't have to worry about the logistics of getting sourcing product, having inventory sitting there, having to yeah. clear that inventory, having the right inventory available in order to sell. And actually, funnily enough, my first business was a product business. It was a men's fashion business. And oh, okay. it failed dismally for a couple of reasons. The first one is I wasn't passionate about it. I got into that business because it was a means to an end for me. At the time, my father was diagnosed with, with, with late stage cancer. He wasn't able to work. And it was my brilliant idea of a way to bridge the household income that we needed to save our family home and to put food on the table. 
But the second thing was that it was so difficult because it didn't matter how much stock I had on hand, it always seemed like my customer wanted something that I didn't already have in my inventory. So I was playing this constant rat race of trying to, to work out what my customer wanted and have that appropriate inventory on hand to help them. Like somebody would send me an email, oh, do you have a size small in this particular thing? And I'm like, oh, no, I've run out, but I've got every other size under the sun. It was just really hard to juggle all of those things. But when I actually broke it down and I decided to wind up that business, I realized that I'd spent so much time in being an advisor, being a mentor, working in the coaching space. And I'm like, why don't I just double down on that the whole time? Because it was something that I was immensely passionate about. It required very little cost in order to get up and running. And that I could, as the more value that I could articulate, the more I could charge. And in, 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 on the flip side, like, let's look at the t-shirt that you're wearing right now, Anthony. You might pay like 20 or to $50 for that t-shirt. But if I turned around and, and tried to quote you $500 for that t-shirt, you're like, Jackson, you're dreaming. There's no way I'm going to pay that. Whereas as a coach, if I can say to you, Anthony, I can help you manufacture financial freedom in 10 years or less, how much would you be prepared to pay for that? A good amount. A good amount. Exactly. I pay $500. And then, but then, then we can say, maybe we start with 500, but then we go to a thousand, then we go to 5,000. And even now in our business, we have programs available that we sell for $60,000. And for some people, they go, wow, that's a lot of money. But it's because we're confident that we can get all of our clients at least a 4x return on investment. And this is the power of a service business. It is one of the most powerful vehicles to be able to manufacture wealth alongside property and shares and should be used with those three, in, those three things in Trinity to allow you to manufacture true financial freedom very, very quickly. And so you mentioned, uh, I saw that you, uh, on your website, you talked about uh, cash flow, right? And so with the cash flow that's incoming with the business or cash flow, whether it's uh, somebody's job, you talked about a cash flow bottleneck. What is yes. that? So a cash flow bottleneck is basically an invisible blockage and they're often typically small things that are consuming your precious cash flow, which is the lifeblood of your wealth creation. An example of a cash flow bottleneck will be, if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you thought you were going to have a great month in terms of money left over in the bank, and then you suddenly went and looked at your bank account and you had this moment of <gasps> shock and panic where the money that you thought was going to be there was nowhere near the money that was actually there. And this is an indication, a lag indicator of a cash flow bottleneck. It means that your financial operating system that you have does not allow you to hold on to the hard-earned money that you've earned. So the first thing we work on, and we do this in both personal and business, is we help our clients implement a financial operating system that maximizes their surplus without impacting their lifestyle or the way that they run their business. Okay. And this is all built on a behavioral principle called Parkinson's law. And Anthony, have you heard of Parkinson's law before? Well, I'm not. Okay, cool. So Parkinson's law is a behavioral principle. And essentially, it, it infers that as human beings, we use the means that we have available. So the more means that we have, the more means that we use. A great example of this is that back in high school, when you had an assignment, and it would, let's say that assignment was due in eight weeks, when would you start that assignment? Probably two days before it was due. Exactly. But you typically always get it done by the deadline, right? Mm-hmm. So... That is Parkinson's law. You've got eight weeks. You know you're going to get it done and you start at the week out or a couple of days out and you do an all-nighter to get it finished. Now, if your teacher gave you two weeks to do the assignment, do you think you still would have got it done within the time? Uh, yeah, but 
So for me, <laughs> the shorter my time frame, the earlier I want to start. Exactly. And that's Parkinson's law right there. So what we need to do is same thing happens for finances. It's like when we first got our first job, right? We might've been working at McDonald's or waiting tables or working at the shopping center, making a few dollars an hour, right? But you, you, you managed to get by. You might've eat, eaten like top ramen for dinner and like did whatever you need to, to, to live a lifestyle. But as your income started increasing, we have what we call the cash flow creep. Our lifestyle creeps up sometimes in line with the income that we're earning, but then we have no, no, much, like no, no more money to show for it. So the important thing is that we create a cash flow operating system that controls the creep of our cash flow as our income grows, meaning that our, in, our expenses don't increase proportionately with our income. Our income increases and so does our surplus because it is not the money that you earn that matters. It's the money that you keep that counts. And this is a cash flow bottleneck and a simple framework that we use to remove them. Awesome. And so with the cash flow bottleneck, what are some common cash flow traps? The most common cash flow trap is living beyond your lifestyle and also referred to as keeping up with the Joneses, right? Mm -hmm. I found even in my own firsthand experience and for many of our clients, we feel that we're like, we're bombarded with marketing messages all day, every day of all of these brand names and these nice cars and living in this big house and going on these beautiful holidays. And, the first thing we need to do is we need to really ask ourselves, are those the things that we really want? So those are the things that are actually going to make us happy. And the biggest trap that many people fall into is they get into deep consumer debt. They buy a car that's beyond their pay grade. They take on financial commitments and loans that are in excess of what they can actually afford. And for this reason, they end up with very little surplus, if any surplus, which means that their ability to manufacture financial freedom is limited to none. So the most important thing is that if you get yourself in these situations, recognize that you are in a tough and dire situation and work your butt off to get yourself out of it. Get rid of those commitments, sell the car, go drive a day with Lanos, do what you need to to consolidate your situation and shore up your surplus. The next thing you need to do is you need to commit your surplus first. Now, have you read a book called The Richest Man in Babylon? No, I haven't got around to it yet, but I keep hearing it. It's phenomenal. You'll love it. And look, for anyone who's listening, it, I know a finance book sounds like a snore fest, but this is it's a really entertaining book because it's written like a fable in olden times and it teaches some really important lessons. And one of the most important lessons is the principle of paying yourself first. So in the book, they talk about this principle of out of every dollar that you earn, how much of that dollar is yours to keep? So some of it goes to the taxman, some of it goes to the grocer, some of it goes to the landlord. But out of that dollar, how much of that dollar is yours to keep? The money that you're putting into investments that work and grow for you. So instead of earning money, paying all of your bills and then saving what is left, we need to flip the formula. We need to save first and spend what is left. Now, as a general rule of thumb, your objective should be to save at least 20% of your net income. If you can save 20% or more of your net income and live on what is left, then that is a really great start to working towards financial freedom. And this savings, you're talking about just savings. You're just putting it away and it's getting less than a percent of interest in your savings account. Yep. That's our first start. So it should be in a savings account that's not linked to your normal banking. So we need to keep it out of sight, out of mind, so you don't have the temptation to touch it. 
let's mm-hmm. start and focus on a couple of months, focusing on saving that 20% and prove to yourself that you can do it. The next thing we need to do is we then need to create an investment operating system. And that should be about how do we start deploying that cash flow, the money from your savings account into growth assets, being shares and property. And then really the, the first step is about how do we start getting money into the market? And because typically most people have to save up a sizable deposit to get into their first property and that can be disheartening. So let's start the process and let's start investing into the share market using an investment vehicle called an index fund. Okay. The reason why we like index funds because we don't want to get into the habit of trying to pick stocks. Because even myself, having helped my clients build over a billion dollars in wealth, I don't pick stocks. I don't even pick stocks for myself because I don't have the time and I don't care about picking stocks. I would much prefer to get the average of whatever the market does than try and pretend to be a a stock picker where we've looked at statistics across active managers and stock pickers around the entire world and even the professionals get it wrong 80% of the time. No, you're right. You're completely right. An index fund, you can set up an account with Betterment, you can set up an account with Vanguard, an account with BlackRock, an account with Robinhood, and that gives you the ability to find a pre-mixed index fund that allows you to get exposure across the whole world and then essentially get the average of whatever the market does for a fraction of a percent. And this is the best way to start. And how much do you recommend somebody, you said 20% towards savings and how much percent towards investing? So the first thing we want to work on, Anthony, is we want to build what we call money muscle memory because it's always, there's always a lot of anxiety when we start trying to invest in growth assets. And the big mm-hmm. thing we need to do is we need to take the fear out of it because there are only two dangers when it comes to investing. One is that you invest in something that goes bust. It goes into liquidation, delist from the stock market, gets wiped out in a natural disaster and you don't have the appropriate insurance. So it loses all of its intrinsic value. The likelihood of that actually happening is very low. The real risk is yourself, is that the market falls, you panic, and you fire sell. You sell when the market is down. You've got to realize that that is just a paper loss. And if you can manage your emotions through those times, you actually won't lose money. So how we do that is we build money, muscle, memory, and we start really small. Most of these accounts that you can set up, you can start with as little as typically $500 to $1,000 upfront and even $50 a month. And what I advocate you do is just start small. Start with something that's money that you wouldn't be worried about losing. And then set a reminder for yourself each and every single quarter, so every 90 days, and increase that contribution. So let's say you start with 50 bucks, put it to 100, then 100 to 200, 200 to 500. 500 to 1,000, as far as you can comfortably push it until we've got all of that surplus allocated. And then we focus on increasing our income again. And then we play this game of increasing your active income, turning that active income into personal wealth. And what stage of financial freedom is this at? We should be doing this when we're at financial growth because the aim is that we need to have surplus in order to allocate into investing. So if you're in a position where you can't even break even every month, you shouldn't even be worried about investing. We should be focused on getting our household in order, creating surplus, and then getting that into the market. Uh, And the same thing for savings. I should be saving 20% down. Okay. And so uh, I don't know if you've heard of Dave Ramsey before, right? I have, yes. So he has, he you know, guru on finances and he has his baby steps, financial baby steps. 
steps. And he says, start off with a thousand dollars with somebody that uh, because somebody would, you know, emergencies happen throughout, through all stages of financial freedom. They will happen. Uh, do you recommend, you know, a thousand dollars? Do you recommend a little bit more uh, while they are trying to get through their stages? Yeah, look, I think a thousand bucks is a good place to start. But I think the other thing is that we break out our, what we call our financial foundations into six components. And okay. these are the first six things that everyone needs to get in order in order to have a really solid financial base that they're building upon. First one is that cash flow control. Let's remove those cash flow bottlenecks and implement a really good financial operating system so we can control that cash flow. Second thing is imp- look at our debts. Let's review our good debts and our bad debts and have a debt reduction strategy. Does it actually make sense for you to pay off your debts before you invest in the stock market or in the property market? Third thing, create an investment operating system. Understand how you allocate your surplus to savings, to business, to property, to shares, because this should be a a simple strategy that we don't have to think about. That's our plan A. And then we need to have our plan B. Because the wheels fall off sometimes, like emergencies happen, right? The first thing we consider in plan B is our emergency fund. Now, our aim for all of our clients is for them to have ideally about $10,000 in liquid cash at all times. The reason for $10,000, because I know some other people talk about three months of, 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 of living expenses or six months of living expenses. Yes. I think that it's hard to buy into that. Because most people need to understand their, how much their life costs in order to work out that number, right? And I think yes. 10000 is a good round number for us to work towards. Because when, I, when you look at it, most emergencies that happen in the majority of cases can be solved with ten grand. Anything above $10,000, we then need to look at our personal protection package. Okay. Your life insurances, your disability insurances your loss of income insurance, these types of things is about how do we outsource our risks to a third party that we can't self-insure ourselves. Okay, gotcha. And then the last part of our plan B is estate planning, which is a horrible subject. Most people don't want to think about it, but God forbid, touch wood, if something happens to you, we want to ensure that we leave your financial situation in good hands and that money goes to the people that you want to receive that money. No, uh, and I get it right. Nobody wants to talk about death. Uh, but uh, I actually, I had a friend uh, I used to play baseball with growing up and their father passed away, but he, they had a million dollar life insurance and it made uh, the process a whole lot easier. And I know, I know money could be a sore subject uh, because you tie it to death, right? It, it sucks. Yeah. But you don't realize how much your family is impacted. They're impacted gravely emotionally because of the fact that you passed away. But then also financially, especially if you were the breadwinner. Uh, so you that leads to so many other different issues. And so it, it eases the mourning process because I don't have to worry about the bills or the house or any other expenses that uh, will come. And it gives the spouse or and the kids a time to rebound and to find work or and do, do things to adjust. So I'm, I'm really exactly. big on that. I'm really big on I agree. that. And look, I've been, I felt the brunt of, of people not actually having the right things in place. Like when my father passed away, I was already an adult. Um, he'd been battling cancer for 10 years, but he did have a, a school-aged wow. daughter and a, and, a, and, a, and a homemaker wife. 
and he didn't have the appropriate affairs in order. And I tried so many times to get him to share with me what he had in place, but he just wouldn't. Very stubborn. And um, unfortunately, after the fact, he didn't have the right documents in place. He didn't have the appropriate protection. And he just left this aftermath that we had to deal with that was made it a very, very difficult situation. So I, I've, I've felt the brunt of not having these things in place, which is the reason why I'm so passionate about educating people to just have these hard conversations because it's a whole lot easier than the alternative of not having the conversation and being in a really dire financial position, along with having to battle with the mourning process at the same time. Uh, that reminds me. So you talk about estate planning. Uh, do you provide uh, any type of mentorship or references, referrals towards trust? Uh, uh, okay, great. And we then, definitely do. Awesome. Because once you get to that, that uh, the growth development or yeah. you could financial growth part. Uh, one thing that I've, I've been able to learn is, okay, insurance covers things, uh, which I want to talk a little bit about whole life. Uh, sure. And then having trust, right, for that financial or wealth, generational wealth part. Uh, and so it sounds like you have uh, many steps within your stages in order to create, uh, let's say, barriers around the individual or the family. So if things happen, I still have these other barriers protecting me from life. Exactly. We want to make sure that we protect the assets that you've worked so hard to build. And I think the important thing is that we don't deploy these things too early because they can be costly to set up and get the documents okay. for. So I'd probably say that these things are really important as you've, as you've firmly cemented yourself into stage three, that financial growth. You've got some property, you've got some shares, You've, you're in a really good position, you're working towards financial freedom. It's at this point that we really need to seriously consider how we implement the right asset protection strategies to set up the future generations and make sure that, God forbid, in the event of the unforeseen, that the money is going to be protected and that the tax man's not going to take uh, any more than their fair slice. So that's something that we need to seriously consider and it's about getting the right advice. And because ultimately structuring can be a really great way of using tax structures can create what we call an arbitrage opportunity. By utilizing these structures, it allows us to have more flexibility around tax, meaning that for the same level of risk, we can have more money in our pocket after tax, meaning that we've manufactured additional wealth without having to overextend ourselves when it comes to risk profile. And so the cool thing about taxes, right? Because um, it seems like there's an endless amount of, uh, we, we joke, it's not loopholes, an endless amount of incentives that you get if you do what the tax code says. And I, I think the yeah. cool thing about it is that you you get you get rewarded. Usually it's, it's like you almost like you get rewarded for certain services is what I like to say. You're providing a service to X, Y, and Z demographic or community or individuals and the government will pay you back. Uh, one thing I've noticed, there's two, there's two types of individuals I've noticed so far with taxes. You have those that get withheld as much money as possible so that they get that money on the back end, right? They feel oh, so great because they got $5,000 back from the income tax. And then the individual that is looking to use their money the, as best way possible and want their money on the front end, they're fine with being uh, breaking even and not at least not owing anything during taxes. And so it's a yeah. mindset set shift. Uh, and that's one thing I was explaining to my fiance because I usually do our taxes and then submit them to our CPA. Um, and I was I would tell her I was preparing her uh, because this is the first year where we actually filed together under the partnership. And I was telling her, look, don't expect 
anything, or if we do a little bit, it's be, you want to be taxed as for all, on as little as much as possible, but that's okay because that means we kept uh, most of it up front and we're being taxed for you know $13,000 a year, which is ludicrous. So um, don't, you got to think about it on the front end, not on the back end. And, and that's a mindset shift because I remember growing up early in my career, in my naval career, I, I want my $4,000 back. I want my money back. But then I'm like, why would I let the government keep my money in escrow for 12 months that gains no interest yep. versus me keeping that $4,000 and I could do something with it in order to turn that $4,000 maybe into $8,000, probably by the end of that year anyways. Exactly. And I think the other part of this as well is that people are hunting for ways to reduce their tax. And what we've got to realize is that there are only two ways that you can legally reduce your tax anywhere in the world, is that it either means that you're racking up your deductions, so you're claiming dedu additional deductions to reduce your assessable income, or you're breaking the law. And yeah, yeah. either <laughs> is not a good thing. Breaking the law, and I know that the IRS is a little bit more strict than our Australian tax department because they just send you straight to jail in America, I've heard. Um, but we don't, want to, we don't want to do that because that can cost you very, very dearly. And the other one is that you got to look at deductions, that you're essentially spending a dollar to potentially get 30 cents back, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it does. And what, what I look for and my aim, and I try and teach my clients this, is that your job is to pay more tax than what you did last year. Because what that means is that you made more money. And I get excited whenever I get a tax bill because that means that I've been, I'm making money. And of course, I don't want to pay the government any more than their fair share. I don't want to give them any bonuses because let's face it, they don't do a very good job. But I'll pay them just their fair share and I yes. will keep the rest because that means that I'm pushing forwards financially. I'm glad you mentioned that about the the deductions, right? Uh, the I should not be spending more money, like on my. Let's say I use that as a business a business dinner, right? Uh, and for those that can't see my quotations, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm spending money that I usually wouldn't spend to get a deduction later. Which I'm yeah, you're right. I'm only getting thirty cents to the dollar, so it ends up not being worth it. Uh, so with that mindset, stay within your means or, or what is necessary. Uh, and you're right about that. Like, oh, oh I gotta, I'm going to spend this money because of all of these deductions. I'm going to drive around everywhere because of these deductions. I'm, I am glad. I'm gl very glad you mentioned that. Uh, again, right. The I think that's a, the difference between a business mindset and a uh, consumer mindset, kind of like the credit cards. Right. You spend exactly. 10,000 to get two hundred dollar credit. Right. $10,000 exactly. that you probably would have never spent. 100%. And we actually did a study on this, Anthony, that we, we looked at a thousand clients and we looked at clients who used credit cards compared to people who used their own cash. And we re researched all of the rewards programs around the world. And we worked out that on average, your credit card provider pays you between one and 3% of your spending as a reward. Okay. Best case. And we worked out that clients who used a credit card actually spent 15% more than people who used their own cash. So even best case scenario, you are 12% worse off using a credit card than you are using your own money. And we get our clients out of using credit cards because it's that behavioral shift. It's Parkinson's law that gets them more invested when it comes to spending their money. They think more about it as opposed to saying, this is the bank's money. I don't have to worry about that for 45 or 60 days. I'm just going to chuck it on the credit card and get the points, which is just, it's not a great way to look at things. 
I don't like credit cards. Uh, so part of I did the Dave Ramsey uh, tutorial work workshop, right? And so I did, you know, put a thousand dollars to the side. I, uh, you know, saved up. Well, I paid off all my debt. Uh, it took me three years to pay off fifty five thousand dollars. And so uh, throughout that time frame, you know, his biggest thing is cut your credit cards up. So I cut cut them up, and I ended up having to get a credit card again when I started my business because they said I needed one to start my credit up. And I, it reminded me so quickly why I don't like having the credit card because I'm, I, I'm easily, and I've been, I have mentally trained myself for the last six years to not use credit cards or at least, you know, swipe when needed. It's so, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I, I probably spend maybe another $50 more than I would if it was just a debit card because it's it. uh, that mental, that mental, uh, it's not even a mental barrier, more like a mental release, really. They're like, oh yeah, it's fine. Uh, and it's, they got you. It's great marketing, right? They, they, they're, Dave Rezzi always says, do not think you can outsmart uh, the banks or the creditors, right? Because they've been doing the studies on what will get you to swipe that card uh, and keep you in the hole. Exactly. And the, the, the problem is that they're lying to you because there's this, this story, this fable that we've been taught that in order to build up your credit rating, you have to have a credit card. You have to use credit. But what most people don't understand is that paying your rent on time improves your credit. Paying your utilities on time improves your credit. All these other things that you do of just being a good moral citizen of paying your bills on time and meeting your commitments on time is, is improving your credit. You don't need a credit card in order to create good credit. No, you don't. No, and I think a lot of people too, um, and I have this on episode, I believe it's episode 12. I did it with Tracy Mitchell, where we, we broke down like the credit myths, you know, what things you can, you know, things that you need to build credit up because uh, let's face it, certain things like real estate, right? Dave Ramsey will say, hey, buy a house in straight cash. Now it, it may take somebody, literally it may take somebody 10 years to buy a $400,000 home. And so uh, I do believe when it comes to credit, it's needed if, you are trying to invest and it's bringing you more money versus you getting expensive. So I, I don't like car notes because a car is an expense. Sometimes, yeah. unless you live in a metropolitan area, I don't even think a car car note is worth it even for Uber uh, or Lyft. But... <laughs> yes, so I'm, I'm pro, I'm always pro, unless obviously you don't want to put yourself too too far underneath to where you're you're pressed up against the wall. I'm always pro. If you good debt, get into debt. To you know, obviously your cash on cash return has to make sense. Yeah. Pay rental properties. Uh, some people I know even uh, like during you are you aware of Dogecoin? The Dogecoin frenzy going on right now and Bitcoin. Uh, some people I know have took twenty thousand dollars from their credit card and dumped it into Dogecoin and Bitcoin, and it worked out for them. But sure. uh, it's, it's a risk. I would say it's a big risk. Right. So I wouldn't say go as far as that type of risk with your debt to make income, because like you said, right, you you are banking on very volatile, uh, it, a very volatile environment that is affected by things that you cannot control at all. At least with real That's estate it. investing, I can at least control how much water is being used by using water efficient uh, faucets or use LED light bulbs to make sure I'm using less energy. Uh, so there, there's a there's slight, t slight t tweaks with those, that realm. But yeah, that was a big risk. It worked out for the individual, but uh, so there's a middle ground there. Not too slow there that, because you're going against inflation, but then 
not too high where major risk you could lose it all and then uh you're paying back that money because he did a cash advance on that credit card ah oh, no that's probably like 25 percent or something like that like here's the yeah. thing debt is a magnifier and debt can be fantastic it can make good situations great but it can make bad situations a whole lot worse and what we've got to realize is that the creditors are always going to come knocking for their repayment so if you're going to use debt whether it be good debt um, or bad debt, you need to understand your cash flow. And where most people get themselves into trouble using debt, even when it's for investments, whether it be real estate or, or borrowing to, to get into the equity market or in, in these crazy examples of getting into crypto, is that they don't understand their cash flow and they haven't worked out how much cash flow they actually have and what reserves they have to make sure they can continue to service those debts, even when those investments are underperforming. And this is where so many people basically made massive mistakes in the global financial crisis is they over leveraged. And that ultimately resulted in our, our, our market crash. When the property market collapsed is that the, the loan to value ratios are so crazy high and people didn't understand their cash flow, majorly because the banks lent them the money and these are people who didn't understand. And we need to understand that Warren Buffett said, actually Winston Churchill said, and it was repeated by Warren Buffett, if you fail to learn from history, you're bound to repeat it. And our job as investors, the people who are working towards financial freedom is to learn the mistakes of the past so we don't make them again. So one, one uh, tidbit I want to kind of give is, so as people understanding their cash flow and their expenses, uh, some people, a lot of people that I've noticed, when you write it down or you type it out, that's when you're more than likely to really see how screwed you are or how well off you are. And so yeah. one thing that I do is I use an Excel spreadsheet. I, I, I like to use Excel formulas, but you could Google, you could Google YouTube Excel formulas on how to do them. So you do your monthly, your monthly income. And if it's a two income household, just both of your incomes put together and then you put rent. Okay. My rent, I have $5,000 a month. My rent is, you know, 2,500. Okay. Right off the top, my rent is 50% of my monthly income. That's a bit much. Okay. Internet you know, food, everything like that. And it, it brings you down all the way to zero. You might be negative, but let's just say you at least, hopefully you at least got 10% left of your monthly income left. So out of five, $5,000, 10% is $500. So if you get paid every two weeks, you have an extra $250 on the first and an extra $250 on the 15th. Okay, what are you doing with that? And what can you cut out of the uh, expenses? Uh, what can you cut the fat out of? Do you need internet? Nah, if you got a smartphone, hey, go use your uh, use your smartphone's internet if you really need to get down to that, right? Because uh, you yep. still do Zoom calls on your phone. 100%. Uh, and so it's, it's really uh, breaking that down and writing all that out and figuring out the percentage. Good rule of thumb, uh, like I like to live by, is you don't want your rent or your mortgage to be more than 25% of your monthly income. Uh, yep. You would actually... Pref- 50, you don't want more than your expenses to be more than 50% of your income, actually, like your total you expenses. Yeah, we, we worked on this and we use uh, some software to be able to track all of our clients' cash flow. And we've mm-hmm. developed a, a tool called the Personal Profit and Loss Analyzer. So if any of your listeners want to get a copy of it to be able to crunch their numbers and work out their ratios, uh, they can add me on Facebook to search for Jackson Milan. Um, in my cover photo, there's a link and you can get access to some really cool resources. And we worked out the benchmarking is that 
we break expenses into really three components. We've got our, our non-discretionary expenses, or our fixed expenses. So that's the rent, the mortgage, the bills, the groceries. And we benchmark that that needs to be total between 50 and 65% of your net household income. 50 is ideal. 65% is the max. Then we've got discretionary. Discretionary is your nice-to-haves. This is your coffees in the morning, going out on the weekend, buying, buying nice things for yourself. We want to link that to your non-discretionary, that it should be between 15 and 30%, depending on your non-discretionary. So your total expenses should not exceed 80% of your household income. So if your, your, your non-discretionary is 50%, you can spend 30% on discretionary. If that's 65%, your, your discretionary needs to be 15 and that means that we always have 20% surplus. Now, if you don't have 20% surplus or your ratios are out of whack, then you need to negotiate, look at cutting stuff, cutting the fat, optimizing your, your household cash flow. And at that point, we then need to start increasing your income. You need to consider getting a side hustle. You need to speak to your boss and you need to work out what you need to do to be able to get that next raise. You need to look for ways to bring in extra income that will allow you to get those ratios in order. Because if we can maintain those ratios, then you're going to do a whole lot better financially. Um, do you recommend when it comes to making extra income, uh, a lot of times people talk about time, right? Because they have families, uh, they have obligations. Uh, what type of uh, side hustles do you recommend uh, to people that they won't make them, you know, average four hours of sleep a day. Look, I'm going to pre preface and preframe this, and I'm going to call a spade a spade. That not having time is a bullshit excuse. Okay. If you, if these outcomes are important enough to you, and you're not happy with the outcomes that you're realizing in your life right now, then the only asset that you have is time. There are three phases we go through in getting towards that stage five of financial abundance. The first is we trade time for money. You need to understand your value per hour. And if your current household does not produce enough income of trading that time for money, then you need to level up your trading time game so you can trade that time for more money. So whether that's negotiating your, your, what your, your income with your boss, getting a side hustle, doing what you got to do. The second stage is once we've traded our time for money and we've got that money to a good level, we can now start buying back our time. So that's stage two. That's where we start saying, hey, I don't want to do my washing anymore. I don't want to do cleaning anymore. I don't want to do cooking anymore. I'm going to start outsourcing these things that aren't best use of my time so I can buy my time back to then spend it in the places that I want to spend it. And then stage three is that we start trading money for money because we've bought back our time. We're living life the way that we want and we still have surplus above our means. So then we can trade money for money. We can start compounding our wealth at a level that we never have before. So you've got to understand what level you're at. And most people are at trading time for money stage. And the problem is that they're not trading their time for enough money because they don't know their value. And so I'll give you a good example, and I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, there's a story that Brandon Turner was talking about in Bigger Pockets where he talked about, uh, he used to joke this when his friends, his dad had a, they had a maid and uh, they were like, oh, you know, he looked at it as, oh, you're rich because you're, you have a maid because you're rich. But no, it's you are rich because you had a maid, because that maid was cleaning the house, uh, cooking the food, which gave me more time to be able to work on the business and create more wealth. 100%. Exactly right. Awesome. And so I, I wanted to talk, oh, I wanted to talk about your mantra 
I didn't get a chance to uh, ask y'all um, ask you about it. So your your mantra is about uh, you help your clients reach four hundred thousand dollars a year in profits uh, to where they work four days a week and forty four weeks a year, which I'm assuming the other weeks are vacation, and yep. uh, and then you fast track their way to four million dollars in net worth. Okay, so first, why is that your mantra? We, we I don't just have a love affair with the number four. Um, we've had the benefit of working with a lot of clients, and we worked out that four hundred thousand dollars a year in profit allows you to live an amazing lifestyle and have a great surplus that you can use to turn your, your active income into personal wealth. We find that any income above and beyond that, it becomes a point of diminishing returns. Like you might go from driving a Lexus to driving a Porsche, or you might go from flying coach to flying business, or you might go from drinking a $20 bottle of wine to drinking a $100 bottle of wine. Your quality of life doesn't get any better. So that's a, a really good income target to aim for. Okay. Now, for most entrepreneurs who love what they do, because we try and help our clients find their passion and work in businesses that they really love. That working four days a week, having a three-day weekend, allows you the time to recharge the batteries and then come back and drive your business harder. And 44 weeks a year means that we can take two weeks off at the end of every quarter to reward ourselves for our hard work. It's a really good balanced lifestyle. People can typically so. sustain. They can sustain that work-life that work balance for the rest of their lives. And then the $4 million in net wealth should produce us at least $200,000 a year in passive income in perpetuity, meaning that that gives you the freedom and flexibility to continue to grow and scale your business and have $600,000 a year in income. Or if you one day decide that you don't want to work anymore, $200,000 a year passive is a pretty good position to be in. And that should last you for the rest of your life and beyond. No, yeah. And uh, inflation would have to be crazy for you not to be able to live off of $200,000 in the years 100%. to come. So I think exactly. it's a great, I think that's a great target. You're very, I love your confidence in your formula in your business. Um, I, I love your website. I love how you break down uh, the, diff, the different, either different mindsets or your different strategies in order to gain wealth. Uh, has me very intrigued. I think this is very interesting for the individuals that can't really narrow down maybe their niche on what they want to do in business. Uh, because the key thing is, is a lot of people have creativity they have a lot of ideas, but sometimes they may need a person or a business to help them hone in on that and to be able to expand it and, and grow it. Uh, because that's that's the biggest thing is people getting over that hump, how to expand, how to scale. Uh, it's, I know how to do, let's say I'm a hairdresser or a barber. I know how to cut hair in my house. I'm a really good, I'm a really good barber, but I don't know how to expand and make it bigger and maybe turn it into a hair salon or maybe turn it into a barber shop. Um, and so it looks like y'all are really good at facilitating that. Uh, and so my question, my, my last question is, is what is your big why? Or what do we, we like to call it? What is your rich state of mind? Because you seem very passionate about what you do. Yeah, I've seen things from both perspectives. I've seen so many business owners, including my parents, suffer and create a, a, a essentially a prison for themselves of, of underperformance and sacrifice and ultimately not having the ability to enjoy the fruits of their labor. And I've also been able to realize myself the power of a hugely successful business of the ability for me to be able to manufacture financial freedom at 32. Like there are very few people in this world who have the ability to go on a year traveling around Australia and, and being able to, to essentially have financial freedom in their 30s. And I've been able to help so many clients be able to use their business as a vehicle to not only create financial freedom for themselves and their families, but to be able to create opportunity for future generations to choose to work in the things that they're passionate about, 
not be forced into working for things that just pay the bills. Because I want to see a world where future generations have the, the ability to fix the real issues. They have the ability to cure hunger. They have the ability to fix the issues that we have around, you know, around greenhouse gases and, and destroying our world that we live in. Mm. But the problem is that most people can't do that because they need to put food on the table. So if I can help and empower the next generation of entrepreneurs to create financial abundance and generational wealth, then I believe that we can have a really great chance at being able to create a sustainable world for us to live in for every generation to come. So that's what I want to do. And over 1 billion total is a good, is a good start. That's it. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Jackson. Uh, very refreshing attitude. Uh, very refreshing also business uh, strategy that you have. It's, I like the fact, so one cool thing, right? I've talked to several coaches, right? But one thing that's been unique about you is that you're not afraid to put a number out there in a time frame on when you can help somebody meet the goal. Uh, so that tells me that you're very confident about your program and obviously it's been working. Uh, and so I can see how that could automatically be very attractive. Oh, I can make $400,000, you know, by such and such time frame, oh, 10 years. Now, so, to some people, 10 years may seem like a long time, but it's really a spick. Uh, it's it. really small, especially if I started at 20. Okay, now I'm financially free by 30. Wow, I have all these years uh, to live my life now. So it's an awesome message. Uh, I really appreciate your time, Jackson. And thank you for breaking everything down. You also, you also have a teacher spirit because you also broke down uh, every strategy that we talked about. So thank you. Uh, my pleasure, man. And uh, here to support, guys. If you listen to anything we spoke about and you want to have a chat, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook. We've got some great resources we can share with you. So remember, a good idea in theory remains exactly that, just a good idea until you put it into place. So start taking action. And what's your website? Uh, website is wealth-mentor.com.au. Uh, and you can also check out Aureus Financial, A-U-R-E-U-S, financial.com.au, um, or hit me up on social media. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, brother.